You're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography, design, creativity, and more, with your hosts, Dave Clayton and Alan Hess. Hello, and thanks for joining us again on He Shoots, He Draws podcast. I really appreciate you being here and listening. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to a couple of people. A few episodes ago, we mentioned that um, we like people emailing us and we did offer a gift if you did. Took a little while before someone actually bit on that. Um, But I just want to say a big shout out to Michael Latiki. I hope that's how I pronounce your name. And Dan Bao or Dan Boff. I think it's Bao. Boar. Dan Boar Bao. Um, Both those guys emailed us and said, yes, we are listening. Um, We just wanted to email to say that, you know, we are listening. We did get to the end of the episode. um, And thank you very much. So I am going to try and dig out a T-shirt for one of you because I think I've got a couple left. Um, But yeah, so if you're listening, Dan or Michael, I will be sending something to you. But I need you to mail me your um, address so I can send you something from the show. Got some stickers. I got a T-shirt and... Whatever I can send you, I will. Is a big thank you. We do appreciate all the contact that we get. It's not a lot. We we know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and we are fighting for audio space. Um, but we do appreciate when we do get feedback and people like the episode. And we're on all the social media platforms. We tend to use Instagram and Facebook more. Um, but on Twitter, it's he shoots he draws everywhere. But if you have got any questions, anything you want to know about me and Alan, any topics you want us to talk about, whether it's design or photography or both, um, please just drop us a mail, a DM, whatever. You know, we're, we're here. We love to get the feedback and the questions. And it's, you know, we sit here talking and we don't know who's really listening to us. We, we, we have good download numbers, but they're across the world. But we only know a handful of people that listen. So if you are listening, thank you so much. We do appreciate you taking the time to do it, especially when some of the episodes have been like an hour and a half long. Uh, We are going to try and scale that back and keep it down to an hour. And if it goes over an hour, we'll split it into two parts so you don't have to listen to it all in one go. Um, Speaking of numbers, we are just coming up to 285,000 overall. Now, if you, it sounds, it sounds a lot, but if you take that and divide it by how many episodes, which is 168, I think it is now, um, we're just coming up to episode 170 soon. But yeah, if you divide it, you know, it's a, it's a modest amount, but we're really pleased with it, given that our highest listened to episode is just hit 4,000. Um, given that we're up against some very big names, it seems like every celebrity's got a podcast at the moment and every celebrity is interviewing every other celebrity so you know we're fighting with that they're getting all the sponsorship um they're getting the big numbers so we do appreciate the fact if you take time to listen to he shoots he draws it is very much appreciated um couple of personal things um if you are interested in design and photography which i hope you are from listening to the show uh if you go to kelby1.com i've got a new class come out um i had a couple of classes come out at the end of the year if you want to find out more about design uh, and some photography stuff you can check out kelby1.com and i've got an article a feature article in the june edition which should be coming out the same day as this episode's released um should be coming out on june the 1st uh there's a couple of articles in there that i've written about logo design and and uh, a tutorial in there so I've, every month i've got something going in there as well if you're interested in that stuff as well um also adobe max is coming up in october so if you're interested in adobe max which is going to be in person and online um i'm hoping to be there i'm hoping to do something with the podcast there as well 
but if you are interested in that you can register at max.adobe.com and I think all the ticket details are released in July. Just before that is one of my favourite shows of the year that I've been working there now for, I think this is my eighth year. Um, it's the photography show at the NEC in Birmingham. So once again, I'll be working there and managing the live stage and the editing suite. Um, myself and Peter Treadway, he'll be helping me. Um, I'll also be doing a class in the editing suite this year as well, but there'll be some familiar names and faces that are going to be there this year. Um, it's hopefully going to be a little bit bigger. People are getting a little, little bit more confident about coming out to shows now that they're opening up. So tickets are now available for the photography show. So we will be partnering up with them and we will be doing a live episode at the show again as well. So, yeah, please go on and check out thephotographyshow.com. Get your tickets, register. It's going to be a ton of cool stuff there this year. So um, definitely check that out. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. So this week's guest is somebody I met at Creative South. Now, you will have heard from the episode with Diane Gibbs. And previous to that, I've been talking about Creative South. It's just an amazing, amazing event uh, run by Mike Jones over there in Columbus, Georgia. Um, and the thing is, what I love about this this place is everyone you meet is just amazing. They're just lovely. And you make so many fast friends. I don't think I've ever been anywhere where I've made so many fast friends that I just absolutely love and adore and speak to on a regular basis and the fact that Diane and I you know we met there and we were able to do our talk which is also on her website if you want to watch that but she introduced me to a young lady called Debbie Clapper who is a traditional artist she's not so digital she was a graphic designer but her art is more hands-on hand-drawn incredible artist I mean her the design that's going on in her brain i would love to get inside there and see what's going on because it's a proper little design factory but um really pleased to get her on the podcast uh just fascinating to listen to like i said i love her artwork so hopefully you're going to enjoy this week's episode uh we will be coming back uh like i said every couple of weeks now um we're trying not to be too uh, like weekly because it sometimes doesn't give the shows enough time to breathe. So uh, every couple of weeks there'll be an episode from us now and in the between we'll probably share a couple of older episodes that you may not have heard. So like I said, thank you again for sticking with us, for listening to the show. But um, before I keep blathering on, let's jump into the episode and uh, just say welcome Debbie. Okay, so welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you for joining us at Heat Shoes He Draws. Um, we obviously met a month ago. We were just talking off air. It's been a month since we were at the Creative South. Um, just before we start, if you can tell everybody like who you are um, and like a, just a little overview of what you do, but then we'll go deeper into what you do. And why were you at Creative South? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, Dave, thank you so much for having me. Like, I've been looking forward to this and it's just a pleasure to get to chat with you again. Um, but for everybody who doesn't know me, my name is Debbie Clapper. I'm also known as Neural, and I'm a traditionally trained graphic designer who, after 18 years of running my graphic design studio, decided I would pivot to become a full-time artist. So I now create abstract geometric art for all sorts of surfaces and situations, which include things like uh, public art, murals, um, immersive art experiences, and pattern and art licensing. And so, oh, sorry. That, that sounds really impressive. No, I was going to say that sounds really impressive oh, thank already. thank you. I've been practicing. Like, what? 
<laughs> that's that's your LinkedIn profile, right? right exactly, there. my elevator pitch. Boom. <laughs> Um, And I went to Creative South, you know, I actually heard about it through our mutual friend, Diane Gibbs, the lovely, amazing Diane Gibbs. Uh, I I had heard her and and a few other people talk about it over the last couple of years and uh, never hadn't had the opportunity to go because of COVID and that. And then Diane had mentioned to me that I could come along to do a volunteer pass at it and just work the show and get to meet people. uh, And... So I decided to do that, and oh my gosh, it was amazing. What were your thoughts going into it though? Because like the first time I, the first time I've been to an event, so when I went to Photoshop World or Adobe Max or Creative South, I kind of knew a little bit about the event. But what, what were you, what was your feeling going into it? Like how much about it did you know, and what did you think you were going to get from it? I did know a bit about it, I will say, because the, it, it did seem like it had this cult following is what I had gathered from Diane and then other people that we know, you know, that she and I know and that who were just chatting about it on various uh, community groups and that that were part of in the design world. And so I really thought here, it, I thought it was going to be like a smaller scale Adobe Max or something. Um and maybe like a step up from an, a local AIGA event. So I yeah. I was not quite sure, but I always had heard that it, people are so friendly at it that you, I had heard that saying uh, that they use the whole like come as family, leave as friends. So I'd heard that and I figured it would be a fun and exciting, you know, design event. Part of me did wonder, you know, is there going to be that pretentious element that usually comes with design, designer run conferences and events? Um, but I was pleasantly surprised to find that really overall, everybody was so warm and welcoming. And I will say hands down, it is the friendliest design conference that I have ever gone to. Yeah, that's that's how I felt. I'd, I'd kind of heard about the reputation of it and thought, is this too good to be true? Is this like a, a cult thing where you go in and it's a real it's a real clique of people and you know I, I you're an outsider and you've got to earn your way in and and because I got to know about them through astute graphics so okay. uh, Mike Mike had had some um, connection with them before I think there was a sponsorship the year before I joined and it hadn't quite worked out how astute wanted it so I was worried like because I'm coming in as a as a vendor person is the relationship going to be weird so I kind of went out. I knew a couple of people who were going to be there through the design community, but I was very apprehensive. And then you get there, and it and it was just like I said to someone, it's the first event I've been to where like everybody was on a level playing field. There were no big stars, no no you know from from the youngest volunteer to the oldest speaker, everybody was was expected to be on a level playing field. Everyone was so welcoming. And you kind of you still had that sort of interpretation of, am I missing something? Yeah. Like, is there? Is there? Am I, am I going to be hazed or something? Um, and the other thing was, uh, again, because I've been to Adobe Max and Photoshop World, they, these are events where you, I mean, you you've got a graphic design background. Mm-hmm. You generally go and you sit in a room and they show you how to do something in Photoshop, or they show you how to do something in Illustrator. And this like had no teaching. It was just like. Uh, a family TED talk. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's a perfect way to put it. You're right. And I think I did think going into it, oh, there'd be more of that teaching element type of thing. And I thought, well, I get bored at some of it. I even, I remember thinking, well, I'll 
look around to see what restaurants and things are in the area. So if, if there's like a few back-to-back speakers or something that I'm not interested in, I'm going to go, I'm going to go step out and like enjoy some good food. But I didn't do that because it was all just so valuable and so personable. Yeah. Yeah. So every minute counted, even if it's, even if you're just sat in a room chatting to someone, it's like every sec, every second, every minute is spent with either old friends or or new friends, yes. new people. And you go and sit down. And I love that um, if Diane didn't direct them to you anyway, right? <laughs> people would gra- people would gravitate to you and come and sit down and start asking you questions. And it being English, it's quite a weird thing because Americans are so much more enthusiastic about stuff like that. You know, like you guys applaud the end of a film you clap the pilot when he lands the plane <laughs> and in, in england it's just like well yeah you know the film was good well done i got my money's worth and when the <laughs> pilot lands it's like well you did your job well yeah. hold on yeah i got the bare minimum that's what i expected so so the enthusiastic side of coming being an english person coming to an event like that was a little bit overwhelming mm. on the first day because it was i'm you know i'm a friendly person I've, I've become more outgoing over the years and it was kind of lovely but weird because <laughs> I was wait I was waiting like I was waiting for the horrible person to come along I was waiting for the 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 weirdness to come out and I remember I think on the first day I came out of Springer House and it was lunchtime and I just was like looking around thinking, oh, I don't know which direction to go. I was on my own. And this girl just came up and she goes, oh, you you going to lunch? I said, yeah, I'm just trying to find somewhere. She goes, yeah, well, I'm not from around here. Let's go and look together. <laughs> wish I, could, I wish I could remember her name. Um, but so That's we amazing. went and found this place to eat. We sat outside. We were chatting about our careers, our backgrounds and everything. And then it's like, OK, time to go back. We've got to go and see so-and-so. And we walked back and and that happened all week. And it was just like our first meeting was Diane shepherding yep. <laughs> directing and then all of a sudden we're sat having dinner and um a couple of the people that with her i knew but obviously you and you and it was lovely to see diane again but straight away you just sat feel like you're with old friends oh i know i feel the same we just hit it off yeah yeah so you've got a graphic design background so something like that um obviously you changed from from what you did to what you do now but as a graphic designer how, if you weren't doing what you were doing now, what was your takeaway from Creative South aside from all like the cool people stuff? What do you think you learned while you were there from the people that you saw? Oh, I would say on the graphic design side of things, I very it was very inspiring. And I think, um, you know, every now and then I still take on graphic design projects on the DL. So hmm. it's just, it, it was a good reminder to just... I mean, it's always about who you know in the industry, I think, and making good, genuine mm. connect. I'm a believer in the genuine connections. Like, I don't like that word networking and that. I completely just, I move along in the way I think you and I and Diane were very similar in that, where we just want to meet people and get to know them and then see how can we all help each other. And so I think on that end, it's super powerful. I think it was very powerful for younger designers at the show, like to make, just to get to know um people who have been in the industry and that willingness for mentoring and mentees to kind of evolve from that. And um, I think, you know, even from for the little bit of design that I still do, it was just inspiring to see where 
design is going in terms of how people are thinking about it as a business, as a more as an entrepreneurship versus, well, and I'm talking more about the people who are running their own businesses or, mm. well, and even the agencies in that there were, that were there that uh, the people who spoke like uh, Ash, oh shoot, I'm going to, Alicia Cohen, I believe her last name is Cohen. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like she I'm... works for an agency now, but I loved her sharing her story and she just, she was so inspiring and realistic and it I think it was great to remember that sometimes we have to step back a bit and and scale it down and sometimes you know you got to make different shifts and pivots in your business and sometimes you go back to working for an agency and sometimes you don't but I don't know it just made me it kind of expanded uh my thoughts around what I'm doing with my business where maybe I don't have to say I don't do graphic design anymore yeah. I'm rambling now, but uh, no, no, it's I, a newer this, thought this that good. I'm kind of afraid to say. So I'm saying this. This is my first time really saying it out loud to somebody who's not my family. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I found uh, given the like you say, it's a lot of students go, a lot of younger designers, and like being being one of the older people at the event and having a career where half my life was in computer graphic design and half my life was other stuff that le led to that. One of the slides I had was a conversation I have with a lot of designers that uh, is a phrase I don't, I really don't like. I think it's, it's a very, I call it a lazy crutch. Mm. And that is when people say they suffer from imposter syndrome. Mm. And I could, I didn't really explain myself on stage when I said embrace your imposter syndrome. But the, the reason why I bring it up was because I felt Creative South, for the likes of like me and you, and then, you know, like then going right down to the, the teenagers, is it's a good opportunity for them to see that it's not a sprint. And the reason, for me, I think the reason why so many younger people suffer from this imposter syndrome that this kind of it's, it, it feels like you know you've given someone a phrase and they can use it on a bad day is we are we are imposters but I think imposter is the wrong word because if I walked into a, a, a hospital into a, into an operating room to perform brain surgery I'm an imposter you know I've no <laughs> I, I have no right to be there um, I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> I've no right to be there. I've done. I've done no training. But I think when you've done training, uh, you've bought equipment, you've you've connected with people, and you've decided that this is what you want to do for a living. Um, it's like Aaron. Dra I remember Aaron Draplin saying about um, creative block, and he said creative blocks. Uh, another one of those phrases. Is he said, because I've never driven down the highway and seen the guy that's digging ditches in the middle of the highway stop and think, oh, I don't know how to dig this hole. What am I going to do? How do I dig a hole? He doesn't have imposter syndrome. He doesn't right. think I'm not good enough to dig this hole. I'm, I, how do I dig a hole again? So he said it, it's in our industry. We put kind of these layers of, of obstruction in our way mentally which creates a bigger problem for us. So what I liked about Creative Rush is that the younger designers can see that, do you know what? We all struggle. We all have bad days. We're not all super successful every single day of the week. We do have bad clients, bad jobs, quiet periods. But that doesn't mean you're not a designer anymore. It just means your environment is going through a change. 
and you have to learn to adapt to it so whenever I go to an event one of the key things I say to to anyone who's gone there is take action when you get home you've absorbed all this great knowledge go home and write a list of five things you're going to do and do them because if you don't you've wasted all that time and investment in yourself you've Mm. all this all this you know whether you've picked up a couple of mentors or you know you've listened to something Chris Doe has said that's really like oh yeah of course that makes sense but so many people go to these events they go home and they don't take any action they don't follow up on anything they've done I think it's such a lost opportunity and I think I said at the event god what I'd wish to be a 25 year old with the technology available to us today and what I could do with that for the next 25 years so when I see a 20 even like a 20 year old having to drink red bull why you've when i was 20 i'd i'd all the energy i had the energy of the sun <laughs> I'd, i why are you drinking red bull and monster monster energy drinks at the age of 20 you should have like all that i just give me a pair of jump leads and, and let me take some of your energy away <laughs> so, so i think it, it's nice that um that i can always learn from someone younger as much as I can learn from someone older and I sat listening to younger people then thinking wow I love that you just don't have all that baggage mm-hmm. as well that you just see it like this and this is your path and you want to learn from this person and you want to you know when I see designers learning all of the apps and being good at UX UI and and all these other things disciplines that I've never even bothered with that yeah. If I did, I could be better, could get more work. But like you said, it's when you're a graphic designer um, or a graphic designer on the DL, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you, there are parts of that industry that is a reason why we don't sometimes want to do it. And it's not because of imposter syndrome. It's not because of creative block. It's just purely because sometimes it's a royal pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And if you find something like you've got which we can talk about next is just tell us a little bit like your your graphic designer background so i've seen your interview with diane and i recommend anyone listening to this go and also watch the interview with diane because it's it's absolute gold i've watched it twice <laughs> it was like i just sat on the settee one night on the couch one night just watching it and then it's like oh i need to watch that again because there was some really cool stuff in there oh, so wow. i watched it a second time um <laughs> But I was really impressed like, by some of the work that you did. Um, I'll have to direct people to your website because obviously with Diane, you were able to use your slideshow, which is why I want people right. to watch it because they can see the work. But what was, what was kind of your reasoning for going into graphic design in the first place? I, well, I went into graphic design because uh, in high school, Nat, I mean, it, this is the story that I think many of us graphic designers tell or people in the creative industry Uh, is that our guidance counselor kind of pushed us into that um, as a feasible way to make a living as a creative person. Because I've always been drawing. So I've been drawing almost every day since I was nine and really making art even before that. But I can strategically remember, not strategically, but I specifically remember, you know, starting to draw almost every day when I was nine. Um, But I just thought, you know, like I, I, my parents and aunt always supported the art that I was doing and encouraged me in it. But I would listen to all the voices that would say, you know, you can't make a living as an artist and the starving artists and all that kind of thing. Like, you don't want to be a starving artist. 
So I thought, well, I'll go into graphic design. And really, I actually, once I, I understood what it was, because I didn't at first in high school, um, but once I started to learn what it was, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I loved logos and I've always loved typography. So graffiti art is one of my favorite things and it's one of my main inspirations in what I do. So I've always loved letters and abstracting type forms and to create graphic elements and to tell a story just with shapes. Um, so that's really kind of what got me into graphic design. Um, and from there, you know, I went, well, I went to art school out in Colorado. I grew up in Ohio, but went out to art school in Colorado. And I um, f focused more on, at first focused on uh, getting a job at like this small ad agency that was terrible. Do you want to hear all, like what do you, how much yeah, do you want me to say here? Okay. As I don't want to get into all want. the boring things. But... I, I want, I want my listeners to get to know you and follow you and look at the stuff you do. That's the, that's yeah. the thing for me is I don't want people to listen and go, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I want them to go and investigate more. So well, what I can share too, is this, I haven't actually shared before, but a lot of my graphic design inspiration. So the, the designers I started to fall in love with when I was in school were people like Von Oliver. He's he's British, correct? Right? I think yeah, he was living in yeah. the, and I know he re, he passed away a couple of years ago. He passed ago, away sadly. recently, yeah. Yes, um a year or two and but I love his work. I mean, I was blown away when I saw what he was doing and he did um you might be familiar Dave, but like for anybody who's unfamiliar with his work, he was mainly doing like indie alternative um 90s 80s um album covers and design he got he was very much a designer in the music industry and for 4ad the record label 4ad so he was doing um like album covers for the pixies it's a band i love the pixies i'm a big mm. breeders fan kim deals like my favorite one of my favorite musicians and she's in the pixies but i remember looking at the pixies uh do little album and i just didn't even understand how it was made looking at the artwork on it my mind couldn't, I couldn't grasp. I'm like, how did somebody make this thing? And so in art school, in graphic, really it was focused on the commercial side of things. So we didn't get like much traditional art training, but in graphic, learning graphic design, I started to understand, okay, this is how he's creating things or I'm getting an idea of how he's putting it together. He's incorporating hand-drawn elements he's incorporating photography custom weird photography he's incorporating all these different it was so creative to me that i started to really see there is an artistic side to design where you can make it functional but it's still a work of art and so that he hmm. really inspired me and another person who really inspired me was margot chase who she sadly too passed away a few years ago um tragically in a in a anyway in in a whatever a unexpected crap plane yeah. crash but um she's been she's one of my favorite designers of all time too and i loved her she did the lettering for buffy the vampire slayer he she did design work for Cher and madonna in the 90s and then she shifted what i thought was amazing about her is she shifted and made a huge pivot i'm sorry this is like i'm, ta I'm not even just talking about my art school days but she not made a it. huge pivot into the uh like natural food industry in that, which I never would have expected from someone like her because she was so indie and cool and creating custom fonts in that in like the 90s into the early 2000s and then made this huge, huge pivot. But it was done so well and she was... I started to see that you could be business-minded and be a designer and still have your... still have the artistic uh, elements there, but to take it to a whole new level. And I feel like Margot Chase really did that. Um, 
And secretly, I have some of her doodles that I took from her. I met her once. Really? Yes. I met her at a design conference in Denver in 2001. And we chatted. I came up to her because she was one of the keynote speakers. And I was still in college. I was young. And I walked up to her and I was like, are you Margot Chase? And I was so nervous and shy then. Like, it was an amazing feat for me to even say hello to her. And she was like... She was shocked. She's like, yeah, how do you how do you know who I am? And I was like, well, you're like the main speaker here. And I'm like, I'm a huge fan of your work. And she was really friendly. And she let me sit with her before she, she had to go like somebody else was speaking. So I sat next to her during that talk. And she yeah. was doodling and I was doodling. And then when she left, I kind of like to think she just left it behind on purpose. But she left her mm. little page behind and I took oh. it and I have it. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. I always wanted to meet... Um... Lance Wyman, uh, he did the Mexico uh, Olympic logo. Oh, you saying about Vaughan yeah. Oliver? There's a, there's a, I'll give a plug to this um, publisher in London. Mm. They're called Unit Editions, mm. and they got together with Vaughan, and they they spent crack it was it was a good year, and they went through his complete archive and they made a book of all of his work, and it's like as thick as my arm. Um, I'll oh my I'll gosh. dig it out at the end and show you. Oh, they did this amazing that. book. It was published and then he died. Wow. And it was Aww. like, oh, what? how great that they managed to get his work. So I started to see, I knew who he was, but I'd started to see more of it because obviously the, the 80s and 90s, as you being a, a, an 80s music fan, mm-hmm. some of the artwork that came out of that era <clears throat> for not only the bands and the records, but like the Face magazine and uh, ID. And there was all these other magazines that came out that had this great artwork oh, that was yeah. all done by hand all pre-computer where it was photography and typography and um some uh, they like david carson a mm-hmm. little bit has that kind of you know break the rules yep. kind of thing but some of them had their own identity and that's what i think is sometimes that little bit in your brain um the neural so yeah <laughs> but you you find it's like the way you're uh what is it like the law of attraction or something I don't quite know what the the right phrase is. It's but it's when you naturally are attracted to people and things without knowing why. So if you see a design aesthetic or a personality or something, you kind of tune into it, and I think that's part of what helps drive you a little. Or it gives you a path to follow that you can then go off and find your own little special little parts but i think it's always interesting when people say who they're inspired by because it's like what you know what was that one thing that made you pick focus on that and follow it because you know like you say it leads you to into a career sometimes Mm -hmm. i love what they did i want to do that Mm -hmm. or just like me with music and football it's i I love admire what they do but i don't want to do it (laughs) i just enjoy other people who are good at it right yeah yeah so yeah so when you moved into graphic design, I know from your thing with Diane where, where you had to make kind of a pivot. And you did some amazing work. I mean, when you were showing the slides, some of the things you've oh, done. thank you. Uh, um, and you, you started to feel, like you said, the shift into doing what you're doing now. What was kind of that moment where, like you and I, you're being a graphic designer every day, graphic designing, doing all the leaflets and the pamphlets and the dealing with clients. What was that little moment for you where you were just, actually, I could park that because I really love doing this. What? But the, the difference is, is I'm going to park this thing that gives me, makes me money. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go and do this thing that hasn't made me money yet. So 
what was that little moment for you where you kind of eh, put the brake on? Yeah, there were a couple of things that um, it was like a culmination of things. So I had started doing business co- coaching with Chris Doe from the Future Pro Group. So I was had joined the, his group. Um, that is actually how I met Diane Gibbs. Um, mm. But I joined his group and I did some personal coaching one-on-one with him because I was trying to elevate. I wanted to grow my graphic design brand. I wanted to grow Neural more into an agency and actually have some um, employees or you know at least be sourcing out work to freelancers and really become more of a creative director, um, overseer of everything. And mm. it was going great and I was excited and I was actually, I was raising my prices in that. And so, yeah, the money was, you know, and I would say the money has not ever been my focus. Um, but it was like, okay, I was raising the prices and nobody was, you know, ba- you know, batting an eye at it. And so things were moving along, but he and I were chatting one-on-one and he had asked something about, well, somehow it came up he said well what what are you really passionate about or what do you really love and i said well you know i make my art on the side too and i do it for clients sometimes so i do get paid to do it um you know here and there and i've done artist series and shows and things like that but i've never fully focused on that and he's like well let's look take a look at your work and so i was showing him some things and he said you know he was just saying wow oh you're you're actually really good you know and i was like oh thanks and i get it you know he's me with all kinds of people but i could tell he was he was being genuine you know and i want real feedback right from him yeah. so from anybody but he was like okay wow you do have some talent here but he's like huh you're just not marketing yourself right he's like i think you could you could do this like you could make a living doing your art you're just not marketing yourself correctly. And so that really, I had, and and so that along with, I was getting really burnt out with graphic design and I had a really bad, and it was all the way, all the way around, including myself, a really bad client relationship and interaction where nobody handled it well. I didn't handle it well, they didn't handle it well, the whole internal team was fighting and, and nobody was getting along. And it was just bad. And there were like friendships involved. It was a weird, like, I am not proud of this at all, (laughs) but it's just Mm. the reality of like, it's one of, it's the actually more than anything was like probably the main catalyst to really push me to pivot and to go, okay, I am going to pursue the art, my passion, the thing that I know I really enjoy, but I also know that the people who like my art and connect to it, that it brings them joy and it helps and they feel more creative themselves. That to me seems more fulfilling. And I just thought, I don't know about this graphic design thing anymore. It's just, I think I'm done. So that was kind of the moment. And it was, you know, end of 2019, beginning of 2020 before the pandemic really hit, or I'm sorry, it wasn't, it was, it was in 2019 when all this happened. So it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. And that was always a kick in the backside for everyone where people making plans. And I I love that interview question that some, I had it in my interview, like, where do you see yourself in five years time? And I said, well, firstly, I feel sorry for all the people of five years ago that answered that question (laughs) because so, so much change. But like for you, um, I absolutely totally agree with you on the graphic design thing is you, you, it's my hobby. It's the thing I've loved the most in my life of anything to do with design and graphic design and typography. And so having it as a job 
was like I get to I get to create stuff that I love doing but you're right at the same time you do just have times where it feels like you're on autopilot and client relationships aren't always as fulfilling as you'd like yeah everyone wants to work on the core projects um which goes back to the whole where people suffering from creative block and poster syndrome because uh, you only ever see all the cool stuff so you think every day is all the cool stuff yes and it's not and don't you think that's even worse now with with social media it's made that 10,000 times worse, you know, where people yeah. just see that and everybody thinks, oh, I want, and all the younger designers and that are like, oh, I only want to be doing these cool projects. I don't want to have to do a production thing and putting, you know, dropping in, replacing files in an old catalog or something, but you got to do it all, I think. Anyway, that's a side yeah, conversation, making, but. <laughs> making barcodes for plates. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. 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 But it, it, that's the thing. It's, I said, it, they're, um, I did a talk once uh, and it was called Get Inspired by Graphic Design and it was for photographers mostly and one of the slides was uh, it's called it's not it's not sexy but it pays the bills and th- what I had was uh, if you go into like a KFC or a McDonald's and you go and get the tray and usually on the tray there's um, a piece of paper that's I don't know advertising the new Despicable Me film or and it'll be the toy that the gift and there might be a little puzzle for the kids and I said you know so there's there is one person in the world that can walk into a McDonald's and go I designed that and and their stuff is seen by millions of people mm-hmm. nobody cares who designed it you know nobody nobody these names the person's name he or she their name isn't on there it's just this work that does a job and the point I made was take that piece of paper and turn it over and on the back is this massive spreadsheet of calorific quantities per items that are in McDonald's. So it has a full list of all the menu items, calorie content, oh, you know, the sugar, the salt, mm-hmm. the all of that. And I said, and someone designed that. Someone had to do the work to put that together that is on the same piece of paper. It's not sexy, but they possibly earn as much or more than the person who designed the front. But ultimately, you don't always get to design the front of it. You sometimes have to design the back. And they are the jobs that can be like a two, three-week job, and it's all numbers and it's all text, and you get like that word blindness. But I have to say to people, it's it's not all, you know, getting up and being like Saturday morning kids club on TV, where it's like bright (laughs) colours and everything's amazing and there's puppets everywhere and like you're all living on Sesame Street. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it does <laughs> you do have the days where it's uninspirational and you you kind of think oh, I don't really want to do this job but you've got to break its back to do it um and I know on my social media I the amount of people that say to me like they don't even realize I've got a day job and I've had a day job since I left school um I, I re- realized how many years I've actually been working full time and it was frightening <laughs> and um about as many as you've been alive <laughs> maybe more <laughs> and uh yeah and it, it was just like oh i was sorry, I completely distracted myself then lost my thread oh no that's all right you were uh talking about well just that you've had a day job from you know, oh yeah, since yeah. you were young and yeah sorry mm-hmm. i'll do a clap here because i can edit there um so I just saw something flash up on my screen. It's like, oh, no, I should have turned my notifications <laughs> off. 
yeah. So, so yeah, I've had a day job uh, since I left school, and m- because people see my social media, they a lot of people say to me, "Oh man, you're just always doing stuff all the time. It's like so cool. You're getting to do this and getting to do that." And I'm like, "No, sometimes I don't do anything all week." I, I like do my day job and I have a week off. I don't I don't touch anything. I don't design anything. I actually like the the downtime for it. But I said what I am good at is marketing myself mm. to make sure that the people who I want to see, like if there's an event coming up, I want the people that I know I'm, I'm connected to, either on LinkedIn or social media, to get my name back in their head again, so that when they're thinking about hiring or using people they're like oh Dave's still doing some cool stuff so if I've done an article for the magazine I promote the magazine if I'm doing the talk I've done the talk I do a lot of this time last year or this time three years ago that when Facebook throws up memories so it's like oh great so cool three years ago today I got to do my first ever Adobe Max or so I do a little bit of self-promotion and and then it's like it it's it's false because people do think you're doing stuff all the time. But I like I like that the social media there is to kind of remind people of what you do. But you're right, you fall into a trap of you think that that's that person's life every single day. Mm-hmm. So like when I see uh, like the logo designers of the world, and it's you know Monday they've just posted this logo they made, um, and you see the logo, and then you see the the pencil scale I'm a little bit cynical with stuff like that because I was I was I call it convenient design so somebody <laughs> might post a logo that they made for like um f- the flames coffee shop mm-hmm. and it's like okay flame easy to do coffee shop easy to do okay so the smoke coming off the coffee cup is a flame or <laughs> You know, so there's what I call convenient design and then the pencil sketch that was so obviously done after they'd done all the work in Illustrator. (laughs) So it's reversed and then it's then it's like the golden ratios added in and kind of all these little arty comments. (laughs) And then they and then they post that every day. And then it's kind of like, oh, wow, man, that person's designing logos all day, every day for all these clients and not realizing that a lot of them aren't even real businesses. They're just convenient logo designs. And again, that's a, that's something I've had conversations with. Where people are like, oh, "I want to be designing logos all day." I'm like, "Trust me, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. You don't." Because when you're working with a client and you've sat there and you're doing your best work and you've used your years of experience, I know you've done this, and uh, you come up with like oh, the ideology of this and this is connected, and I see where this comes together, and you submit it you know full well and a lot of designers don't realize this that you can put your heart and soul into a logo but the person picking it could just be the secretary or or a family member that just happens to like purple or just happens to love circles yeah so that all your years of, of expertise goes counts for nothing it's that some weird preference will be what ends up picking the work that you do oh yeah so when so when it's that day-to-day graphic design it's like seriously like you you do not want to be doing logos every day because when you get that logo job that goes back and forth and back and forth and you in the end you're sick of it mm-hmm. is it's not it's not all fun and glory now that that leads me on to what you're doing now because you have made such a pivot that your work now I've been tr- I've been trying to do what you do 
I've been getting scraps of paper and notebooks and trying to do what you do. Oh, good. So explain what your work is now, what you, what you uh, consider it to be called. Because um, it's not quite mural, it's not quite graffiti, but I can see the background stuff there. But what would you, how do you explain what you currently do to people who ask you for the first time? Well, it depends on who I'm talking to, but <laughs> it just... Right now, off the cuff, I say that I I do say it's I create abstract geometric art. That's kind of the best way I can describe it, though it's not always just strictly geometric, but it tends to mostly be geometric, but always abstract. Um, and basically, it's kind of like if if I'm very much inspired by M. C. Escher uh, and mm -hmm. graffiti art. So it's this weird merge of those two worlds that I have been honing and um, just spending my life refining and refining my drawings in that based off of those two main inspirations. But uh, I'm also inspired by architecture and graphic design and nature. Mm. So it's kind of to this merge of, and this is actually where the name Neural comes from. It, the original origination of it is sort of typeface, but the, the idea of it is merging the neural system in the human body and the neural network in the computer and these two things kind of coming together to create this weird creative um, explosion of sorts or something so it's like organic and digital coming together but it's very it, it's it's since we are just here on this um uh audit, auditory is that right platform just, yeah 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 it's line art i always start out typically in black and white with my pens um and I create optical illusion artwork that then I translate or put onto walls, products, design projects, all kinds of things. I don't know. I feel like I'm the, doing a bad job. No, 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 no. Because no, the thing I wanted to throw, the, the grenade I wanted to throw in the room is where, where a lot of people listen to designers talking about what they do, is the there's the assumption that... Oh, how do they? What do they use? Illustrator, Photoshop? If you automatically think, oh, well, they use technology, and you actually, for the largest percent, because mm -hmm. I'm sure you do some things yes. in, in computer, but for the most part, yours is lit, literally out of your hand, out of your brain. Yes, it's and, and looking at what you do, it's like it's very personal as well, hmm. because this is this is your brain at work. This isn't. Uh, I know. I'm sure some people say can we have something very triangular or can we have something very circular but ultimately it's your brain at work and, and your hand yeah so and to go off of that it's i do it i do it all all the originals are freehand so i don't use rulers i don't use compasses i don't measure things out i don't um, use masking tape in that when i'm doing paintings i just like you were saying i draw what i see in my mind's eye so i like to get it from my brain to my hand to the paper or the wall or whatever as quickly as possible and i think in all honesty i think part of it is i'm a little bit lazy i don't like to wait um when i'm making art so that's part of what i like i said i started drawing this way when i was really young like nine um and I didn't want to have to do like pencil and then color over that and then that and then this. It's like, no, I just want to get my design out there. And every now and then I do use pencils sometimes. That's one thing I do use yeah. when I have to, when I'm I doing saw something the work super you, you complicated, I, I have to, but yeah. 
Your mum keeps it all, doesn't she? She your does. Keep all My your mom old work. has yeah. all kinds of stuff in the archives, which I have a lot of it now here, and I actually have it back in that closet back there. Um, right. But it is really interesting. I mean, I will. Look, I do look through all the the old art uh, from when I was a kid to high school to college to just a few years ago, and then more recent things in my sketchbooks. But you can see, looking back now, I can see there is a through line, and it's always been these. It's been non-objective um, shapes, lines, patterns. Uh, it's just something I've always been drawn to and wanting wanting to create. I've never wanted to draw realistically, um, and whenever I've had to in the past, I just don't really enjoy it. I've done it to just kind of train myself for that, or in school when I had to, but. I really just love abstract art, and I, when I saw M.C. Escher's art, you know, I was blown away as a kid. It just, I couldn't believe what he was doing with 2D lines, how he was creating these insane three-dimensional, like, images that were popping off of the page. It just was unreal to me, so that really sparked something in me when I noticed his work. Because when I see your work, it always... The, the thing that I thought of that I was trying to think how do I explain what's coming out of your brain and it's like you know when you see the videos of when frost just starts to form yeah and you get that foot and then it gradually starts like you get that kind of fractal and it just starts growing in different directions there's no method to it there's no order to it it's just the way that that particular day things are going to go off in certain directions i was that's how i think mm. your brain must be working when you do it because like on your wall behind you i'll i'll put a screenshot when i do um uh, off your website of your of your wall of you didn't have the whole of that in your head when you started it you just had an idea of where how it was going to start and some of the things you're going to include so do you with the work that you're doing now where you do get hired mm -hmm. and I've seen some of the street mural stuff you've done how do you how do you control where the client wants something specific versus what your brain wants to do mm -hmm. how much flexibility do you get well one of the first things I make sure now since my focus is on the art my distinct style and the work that I'm creating I do um just double check and make sure that the client wants my work because every now and then I do get someone who reaches out and they're like, Oh, I like your mural. They'll, they'll reference things they've seen me do. And then they'll go, well, I want you to create like, you know, a palm tree with blah, 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 you know? And I'll say, well, if you want me to create a palm tree, it's going to be very abstract. I'm not, I'm not a literal artist. It's going to be in mm. my style are you okay with that? If not, this might not be a good fit. So I've, I'm really okay with, I've gotten very comfortable with being able to say, you know, we aren't going to be a good fit because I think art is so personal and I want everybody that I work with or potential clients to be happy with the experience, even if we're not a good fit. And I want them to feel heard. Um, and I think, some artists don't don't listen. Well, anybody. This is in any industry. Sometimes people yeah. don't listen to what the client actually wants. And I would be doing an injustice if I didn't say to somebody where, you know, if it wasn't a good fit to tell them, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. You should check out so-and-so. I can connect you with that person or, you know, good luck. I hope you can, you know, whatever. Or like, hey, mm. great, we're a good fit. But typically it's, it's people do come 
to me to because they like my work and they want something either similar to what I've done or just like, ooh, a merge of this and that. And I'm happy to merge my different styles. Like I recently did a merge of things from, um, I had a guy, this was so crazy to me. Um, in Australia, at first I thought it was a spam email. He emails and says, oh, I want a custom painted Yeti tumbler. One of those, you know, are you familiar with yeah. the Yeti? Yeah. Um, and he said, oh, cause I, he saw these projects that I did that were mock-ups and few years ago. It's on your Instagram, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it was like yeah. a, little self-initiated project that actually Diane had had prompted and so I had done 30 of these things anyway um this goes to show that like whatever metadata and that that I put into those images was good because he found me through Google Images I asked him how did you find me he's like oh I searched custom yetis and your images came up he's like and they looked so much better than all the other stuff I was seeing because he's like I didn't know who you were I just I just found you literally and so he's like somehow he found one of my old drawings that I don't even know if it's, I, I don't think it's even posted on my, any of my websites right now, but it was from like 2005 or something. And he said, I like that, but I want it kind of this, this newer geometric stuff you're doing too. Like, can you do a merge of these two? Cause this older one was very flowy and kind of floral in some ways. It had a lot of organic shapes in it. And I was like, yeah, let's put something together. So I still created a mock-up for him. I said, I won't do anything without getting your approval. You know, you can change colors in that. Anyway, I'm probably t- giving too many details on this, but... Um, That's fine. So he and I worked in that, and, and it kind of led to a new idea for me too, I think, in patterns and what I want, how I want to merge things and keep continue to evolve and grow and challenge myself and what I'm doing so that I don't just get stuck on, like, triangles. I've been stuck on triangles for the last few years, which I love them, but I'm getting a little bit sick of them. So anyway, it helps me to also just continue to evolve and try out new things with my style and see where else it can go. That's the cool thing. People now want a Debbie Clapper. They they want, they will want your particular artwork in the same way that like we have people we admire and you think, oh, if I could have someone paint the wall in my back garden, I would love so-and-so to come and do mm-hmm. it. And I want their style and people come around. You can go, oh, like that's, um, I used to like Keith Haring. Yeah. Stuff that we draw the people. Um, that style that I think it's Mr. I always get his name wrong. I say he's Mr. Bingo, but I don't know if he is Mr. Bingo. Mm. But he's the guy that also draws freehand, a bit like Keith Haring style. Is it Mr. Doodle? Where, or Mr. Something? Doodle. Yeah. Sorry, yep. yeah, it could be Mr. Doodle. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and and like that kind of thing where it comes out of his brain. Because I was thinking, oh, it must be a nightmare when somebody like sees your stuff, wants it, and then they go, oh, could you could you draw it first so we can see what we're gonna get. And it's like, I don't imagine that's your... Pr- you you kind of like, no, no, listen. Give me a blank wall and a pen and come back well, in four hours. <laughs> no, I do like to show them beforehand. So I make sure yeah. to do that. And I'm happy to do that. It, it's fun for me. And it just it's just incorporated in my process with any client, whether it's like an individual person wanting something or a, co- a corporation or somebody too. So, but the, I would so they say... Get an I- oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, so they get an idea of... They can give you a brief anyway. Yeah, and I've actually, over the years, I'm sure some artists will cringe at hearing this, but within, I, I have boundary around it, but I also invite feedback and revisions. I think that's part of my graphic design background coming into play because I understand that, again, it is for somebody else. Like, I want the person to be happy with it. 
Um, so I'll adjust colors in that. Like I have a certain palette that I like that you've probably noticed, right? I love kind of like 1980s colors, black and white. I love that. But when I do color, I mean, I want like some hot pink thrown in there with like teals and I want Mm. to be a little loud and crazy. Um, but I'm also happy, like if somebody wants a mural in their home and that color palette is not right for them, I'm not going to force it on them. So we'll work together. And I found a happy medium where... I always tell them I like to, I got to incorporate at least some pop of color. I'll pick something complimentary to whatever palette we have, but there's got to be something because it's just part of how I create, you know? Um, So, yeah. So the worst thing is when you do all that work, I remember speaking, I can't remember the guy's name now. He used to do mural work, typography. And uh, he said, oh, I've got, I've got this call to do, um, someone wants me to come and do a mural in their home. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like to have that, like I said, to have something in your home that someone's done. And uh, so he goes, I'm really excited. I've come up with some ideas. It's for a children's room. And he, and he said, I've got this kind of forest and I've got my style in there. And they basically said, oh, yeah, we just want you to copy this onto that wall. And it's like all the Disney characters and Sonic the Hedgehog and <laughs> Superman. <laughs> he said, like, his soul left his body. Yeah. <laughs> it, was at that, it was at that point, it was like, no, I, I need to be me and I need to do my work, not just be a, a, a wall painter mm-hmm. for hire. Yeah. Um, so that's what I love about people who do work that's very personal to, to them and their style because i like that thing um like uh glim was talking about with photography he said <clears throat> if i walk into a room and somebody lays 20 of my photographs on a table i want them to n- straight away to see it and go oh that's a that's a glenn Lewis. that his style personality everything c- flows through the work so that when they see it they know it's yours mm-hmm. like the color or the or the shapes or the style oh look Vinny's made an there appearance Vinny. <laughs> um but I, I love that when personality comes out and people identify the work and know the artist I think mean, that's where you've hit that yeah I'm I'm in I'm in the place I want to be because whereas I think with, lo- with logo design and with graphic design it's hard because you kind of have to follow a brand guideline or you have to follow, mm-hmm. you know, it has to look like everything else. And even some logo design, um, I'm a big fan of Von Glitschka mm-hmm. and, and Von's work is very, I can pick Von's work out uh, in the same way I can pick Aaron Draplin's work out yes. and I can identify people who are inspired by them, but not quite. It's always just something quite off. So I can, yep. I could go through some work and go, Aaron's not Aaron's or Vons not Vons. And there are some great graphic artists I love that do sports logos and and specific logo design work mm-hmm. where I I know it and I, and I see it and I love that they've identified themselves in that marketplace as they get hired because people want that person. Yep. So I love it when I meet people who have that like yourself where you've now got a thing that people want you for what you do and something you said on diane's show which i thought was really interesting that i said to a lot of people is you were talking about business and marketing saying that it's all very well like learning how to use indesign and illustrator or pen and paper but one thing a lot of designers who come into this that overlook is the business and marketing side of it so 
did was that the thing that I, i'm guessing i think from memory you'd picked up a lot on that before you started doing the future program i had just but, started maybe yeah. a year or two before i finally had had a, a business mentor like a manager i had taken an in-house job uh for a short period of time and that there the person who was my boss actually took the time to help me so that started to make a shift for me um but then really christo was kind of a the kickoff to really launch me into the desire to want to develop as an entrepreneur and a businesswoman. Yeah. And I always thought I couldn't because I think that was another thing that I, I feel like, I think it's changing now, but you know, I wonder how you feel about this too, Dave, but in, when I was in art school 20 some years ago, um, we weren't being taught anything about business. And when we did, we got like one class that was like, they just push you through it real quick. You don't really learn anything in it. You know, you probably do, yeah. but I didn't learn much in it. And I just yeah. thought you it didn't money? matter. Put it in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, I'm an artist. We get away with being kind of flaky and like we can kind of do whatever because I was I was going along with like this goofy stereotype of artists in my own naivety. So the older I've gotten in that, I've realized like, wow, you know, this is a business. <laughs> Like I'm selling my art as a business, whether it's graphic design or it's a mural or whatever I'm doing, I gotta step it up and be a professional and actually learn what it means to take care of a client. Yeah, definitely. Well, one the, I think I might have said it to Diane last week, but um, I know I know I've spoken to some this week about it, saying uh, I remember speaking to a guy who came to Creative South with me and and I was saying how weird it was. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How we? Sorry, he might make more noise. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. I'll do a. Um, yeah, I remember chatting to a lad who came to Creative South and was saying like it's so funny when I was at school. Like the careers advisor was pretty much. So what are you going to do? You're going to work in a bank. You're going to be a builder, or you're going to learn a trade. No, I, I don't ever remember anybody encouraging me to leave school at 18 and start my own business. And whereas now, kids are coming out of school and just going straight into business. And they've not really learned anything about business and marketing. And it's like, oh, I'll get paid by PayPal. I won't have to pay tax. I can buy all this cool stuff because mm -hmm. um, they're living at home with their parents. But I said, you know, if, you, if you've got that much confidence when you leave school now, and, and this is to anybody listening or if you've got children... It's just encourage them to go and get a job in the industry they maybe want to be in. And obviously for, for, for design and photography, it's always that weird thing of where do you make the money? Mm -hmm. And I say, go, go and work for a company for six months and get some experience. And like, go and work with that obstructive boss. Go and work with the cra crappy person in accounts and, you know, the Karen that argues with everything <laughs> and the, the guy that's the alpha male. Mm -hmm in the office learn all those personalities and and deal with it just deal with it for six months before you go and start your own business you can do some work on the side because the reason for doing it is when if you come out of school and you start your own business you all of a sudden assume that every company you work for is going to pay you on time make decisions quickly and love everything you do 
Yep. And until you know that, until you know that in a company that there are seven people involved in decision making, and there's a committee, there's the person in accounts who never pays on time, there's a manager you can't get hold of. If you don't know how to deal with those people, you're not going to ha- know how to run your own business to deal with with how other people run their business because you can't get hold of people when you want to and therefore the longer the job goes on the the longer it is before you're getting paid for it before stuff gets signed off so i think that that whole business of marketing side is like you say as as obviously as we get older we, we have mortgages and we have bills to pay but i think it's so critical that that youngsters come out of this and like we said earlier on don't just think it's all sunshine and rainbows yeah not trying to kick your enthusiasm out kids but it's not all sunshine and rainbows learn the business and marketing because i my background was marketing and i love marketing i love analysis and statistics and email marketing and Mm. the science behind it and i'm just starting to learn some more stuff about google again because i'm doing some work myself and i remember you know going through the dark arts of seo and people saying I'll get you to number one on Google. Well, up until Google got you to create an account and sign in and then they know your whole life. <laughs> now everybody's Google search is different anyway because our Google search is tuned to our preferences and what the AI knows about us. So all that thing of like, oh, I have to be number one on Google or I can't run my own business mm-hmm. or I have to be this or I have to have this many followers. I think it's such an important thing to kind of get into your head that learn all this horrible foundation stuff because when you do have the success of being known a good designer the business will run itself Mm -hmm. and and one of the things I wanted to ask you was like from a personal point of view how easy do you find it talking about yourself marketing yourself and promoting yourself it's never easy (laughs) it's never easy but I'm learning more and more that it's a service, you know, I, you have to be able to talk about what you do as a creative person, even if you're working in an agency or something, you know? So I, I will say the weirdest thing just been for me and knowing how I am, (laughs) it's always been easy for me to share my artwork. It's been something I I've never had trouble doing that. Because I've always seen, I've noticed how people, when it, when they connect to it, they love it and enjoy it. So I think that, and, yeah. and I was always encouraged by my family. But the thing that's been hard, but that working on it has helped me over the years is to just be okay with talking about what I'm doing. But the main shift is remembering that, okay, yes, I'm the one providing the service and it's the art that I'm creating. Um, it's actually not about me. So getting the ego in check and continually, like this is an ongoing thing, I think. Getting the ego in check and just remembering, I am I believe, like I'm here for a purpose. I think everybody is personally. So on a deeper yeah. like spiritual level, I'm like, I know that I was created to um, have this particular art style within me, I believe from the hand of God. And so I'm like, the more I can remember that there's a greater purpose in what we're each doing, the easier it is for me to talk about how I can possibly help another person on the creative side of things, either with an enjoyment of a piece of art or bringing out more creativity in them or, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, totally agree. I just want to like, 
as I've got older, I've seen the importance of sharing, mm-hmm. and the, and the talk we did with Diane that we actually we did Creatives Ignite where you were there because you watched it and we're doing part two in a couple of weeks. Good, all good. Was uh, probably the biggest thing I've learned now is the respect I've got for people who have shared with me because you know what it's like back in the day, nobody would share anything like pre, right. pre-internet. It's like, but I said, it's like the industry used to be like being in an exam and the person next to you's got their arm over the paper and they're writing really small and their yes. face is really close so there's no light because they don't want you to copy because if you copy you're taking something away from them and whereas now youtube is like a cage fight of people trying to outshare each other and and give away all the like all the there's no secrets right, there's no yeah. secrets there's no no <laughs> secrets no levels it's just all learning you know there's 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 a start point there's not an end point because it keeps evolving but yeah now it's like oversharing and everyone wants to overshare but we're now in a, a point of time um like what i love the reason i asked you about your promotion marketing is i love watching your process videos mm. so where you're working on a particular project it's quite mesmerizing it's a shame like tiktok's only a minute or three minutes and instagram reels uh probably a couple of minutes but it's actually quite therapeutic to sit and watch someone's process because before it used to be, like I said, you see the convenient logo and the convenient sketch mm-hmm. or or the one that always makes me laugh is, and I, I, you know, and I know the person's put, and I apologize if you've done this. <laughs> it's when, when someone's done this amazing piece of art and they post a video of them just doing like the last two lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, I wanted to see the first two lines. I wanted to see the halfway point, and then I want to see the end. I don't want to see you just putting the last two eyelashes <laughs> in and the last bit of highlight. Because I don't know that if you did so that. Easy. I don't know if you made right. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to see the process. I like uh, the reason I buy Blu-rays for films is not to watch the film; it's to watch the making of the film oh, and the outtakes and the deleted scenes and the bloopers. I want to see. I want to see the process of what of how that thing came uh, to be i like documentaries about bands like the making of albums there's some really good documentaries on um i don't know if you'll get it on bbc iplayer mm. um but there was a couple of really cool documentaries about the making of albums 80s albums oh. where they went back and interviewed the bands and like what was and you hear all these stories and i love that process side of i don't just want to see the last thing I want to see all the bits along the way and the problem you came up against or the point where you had to stop and start again. I mean, I'm sure you must have had at some point you've worked on a project and gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you've had to start from scratch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. And it's like, <laughs> screw it up. <laughs> but just think one day, one day someone's going to come to an event and they're going to sit and come and talk to you and you're going to doodle and they're going to you're going to walk away and they're going to take your doodle. <laughs> and in 10 years time, they're going to be on a podcast saying, I sat with Debbie Clapper and she oh, did right. this doodle. I'm sure she left it there. <laughs> and look, I've got it in my drawer. Oh my gosh. Um, Cause, uh, Cause I like buying artwork from, from my friends, like in the living room, I've, we've got th- uh, three posters on the wall framed and I've been to loads of events and started to get to know designers through when I was with Astute Graphics and I was buying posters off my friends Mm. and it's like I've got more posters and I've got wall space (laughs) but I laid them out and said like pick the 
your favourite three prints and we'll put them on the wall. And it's just turned out that the three prints are from the same artist. Oh, wow. And he's yeah. he's absolutely like chuffed to bits because I've got his stuff hanging on my wall. And he's not a you know, big, super, super well-known designer, but his style's really nice. So I do like... I much prefer to own artwork from people that I know, mm-hmm. that I kind of know who they are, where they what they did. Um, who, apart from your own stuff, mm-hmm. like, do you have anything at home hung up yeah. from anybody else? What's oh what, yes? What's your I lo- what's your I aesthetic? collect art. I love to collect art, and I I very much connect with what you just said. I um I love to connect with lo- like local artists' art that I enjoy. So I lived in Denver and Boulder, Colorado for. A collective of like 22 years and I got to know a lot of the artists in the community there and that a lot of artists I love so I have uh, paintings and drawings and from a from a number of people um, and then once I moved here I, so I, I probably didn't mention that here earlier but about a year and a half ago during the middle of the pandemic I moved to Cleveland Ohio to be closer to family so I've been immersing myself in the art scene now especially as things lifted with COVID can meet people again and I've been mm. going and buying art. And so one of the pieces I bought this summer was from an artist. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember his name right now. But um, he he did these cool, they're just fun, these paintings of musicians. And he had like prints and he had um, Slash from Guns N' Roses. And I saw it yeah. and I was like, I have to have that. And so I have this this great painting of Slash from Guns N' Roses. It was a toss-up. Oh, wow. I was either going to buy Prince or Slash. I thought, I'll save up and get Prince later. I got to get Slash. Yeah. I need that. So, um, so I've been getting some collections going here. And I love, like, I have graphic designer stuff too. Because I still enjoy graphic design. I love it. I like looking. I, I Now I enjoy more just looking at other people's art. And I guess to even tie back to Creative South... Like, I love just hearing about and discovering new graphic designers that I didn't know of yet. So yeah. that was fun to me. Like, Doc Reed, I, he, I really enjoyed yeah, him. Doc. Yeah, he was great. And his talk, was he gave a talk, and it was really, really thoughtful and deep, and I loved it. Um, and, like, getting to meet you, Dave, you know? So, um, yeah. Anyway, I have design books. I don't have as many as you, I don't think, but I love graphic design books and lettering books. And so I have, I have a collection I've I've discovered so many artists that I was annoyed I didn't know of that had existed for years, and that all came about from the um, the Aaron Draplin story. It was the, like the first mm. time I saw the blog uh, post with him, and I saw his bookshelf, and I, I looked, tot- like, took loads of screenshots, and I zoomed in, flipped it around so I could read the spines, and I was making lists of all these books, and and, and it was like wow, I. I'd always seen this work, I, but I never knew who the person was behind it. So I started buying all these books about things. And there was one in particular that quite often I buy it as a gift for designers. Uh, and it's, um, now I've said it, I can't remember their name. Mm-hmm. But basically it was a husband and wife. And they were the they were the designers who came up with the Wrigley brand oh, for the chewing gum. yeah. but they were they were friends of the original mr wrigley um and he owned the chicago cubs and this husband and wife they met in a studio they used to do it all by hand they worked during wartime as well so they had certain things where they certain color colors they couldn't use and certain kinds of materials they couldn't use 
and they designed the whole Wrigley brand and it's just an amazing it's Dorothy and Otis that's their name and uh and it, then it tells the story of what they did for the for the Chicago Cubs and they, all their artwork was on the old programs oh, wow, but there so was some cool. some amazing quotes in there as one where they designed this thing for Wrigley I think it was Juicy Fruit and Mr Wrigley they showed it to him and he said nope nope I don't like it and Otis just says I didn't make it for you to hang on your wall. I made it for your customers to buy your gum. And uh, and he kind of was like, okay then, all right, do it. And it was one of the biggest selling products, launches, and the you know the artwork was iconic. But like, I'd love love finding these little treasures of logo collections and designers that whose work we see all the time, but we don't actually know who mm-hmm. they are. Even ones like um, I know people can't see it, but this i got this one and it's uh matchbook art it's called matchblock and it's all these um oh, old match my old matchbook yes. designs that um and this was something aaron said is like these these people who designed this back in the 1930s 40s 50s they were just people in a room that were tasked with hey make some matchbook covers with animals on and their names will never be known they just did all this incredible art that's so that lasts you know what what from today will be in a book in 20 30 years time yeah so the debbie clapper oh, book i don't know but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would obviously pre-order on amazon <laughs> um and so, joking aside joking aside um because it's possible what have you now kind of got coming up for the rest of 2022 we're not even halfway through the year have you got have you got any big plans coming up have you got projects to earth that are coming along that you're excited to be working on well one of the big things that i have coming up is i'm relaunch i'm revamping and relaunching a creativity workshop that i ran a few times in colorado pre-pandemic um I really have been connecting to how uh, people feel very inhibited with creativity, though I think everybody is creative. And I really want to help draw that out of others. And so I'm focusing on relaunching this workshop in about three months and kind of seeing where it goes. I feel like um, I think it could lead to a few different things, but and like um, branch off into other workshops and you know, maybe like some knowledge product things. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm more and more, I'm really connecting with, with wanting to help others through art and understanding what that means. It's taken me a really long time to get it because I think, I don't know why, it's just been like, I'm like, how does art help people? Even though I know art has always helped me. But I think for myself, mm. understanding, well, how is the art that I'm making helping people? Maybe this goes back to even our conversation where you were asking about how, how do I feel about talking about what I do or whatever. But um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. And I think the more I can understand that and help people and free their creativity, um, yeah, the more life I think is going to be brought to them and to what I'm doing and it just can continue to kind of move on and carry on too. Yeah. It goes back to that thing of you get to a point where, like for me, you get to a point where you want to share your knowledge. So you become the teacher. And and the thing that people need to understand is do it for fun. 
Yeah. You don't. It doesn't have to be a business. You don't yeah. have to make money from it. You don't. No one else has to even see it. Just set yourself a personal project, like the the twenty six the, the um thirty days of type project, or just do something every day. Get a sketchbook and every day find the first thing you see, the first thing you think of. Do a sketch for it. You don't have to show it to anyone. You don't have to share it. Just get the the muscle memory going because you you know you're drawing straight lines like like a like like, like a like robot a yeah, yeah. Like, you, yeah you you've taught you've taught you've taught yourself to do it because you've been doing it over and over and over that i'm sure you just sit and doodle for the sheer hell of it and for fun it's not always for clients oh yeah you just get an idea it has to come out put it on a piece of paper stick it in a drawer and you know maybe your mum and dad might keep it and drag it out and right 10 years time <laughs> but but encourage people to to make things and i've been guilty of it i lost I kind of not lost the love of drawing by hand, but because all the work I get is so computer driven, I forgot how to have fun drawing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it happens. And yeah. So, so I started buying, you know, nice buying sets of pens and pencils and getting some notepads and starting to sketch again. And the other day I had a field notes out and I had a black pen. So I just started doing some of your kind of ideas drawing shapes random shapes drawing lines lines in the other direction then crossing them over coloring the little bits to get that kind of weird um that that pattern going and it's so therapeutic it's so like i wouldn't do it to make money but i would do it for fun i'd do it just because and that's what i think that's cool doing the workshop is just getting people to get their creativity out yeah because when people go oh i can't draw there was um there was a lady uh, I saw at Adobe Mac. She's English. Her name's Chantelle Martin. Martin. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and, uh, and she said this thing like, put your hands up if you... Put your hands up if you think you can't draw. So all these people put their hands up. And she goes, that's, that's rubbish. When you were a kid, you all drew. Mm-hmm. You all had drawing books and pencils and paper and crayons. You were all drawing all the time. You just, you just, forgot, to lo- you just forgot to love mm-hmm. it. In the play. And you could have all still... It's play, yeah. like just have fun and be free in it, and I think that yeah, I, I just think there's it, it. I think it can inspire things well beyond just you know the creative aspect. Even I think when people allow themselves that room to just doodle and draw, it doesn't have to be you know. I think that's where people get stuck. They think too that oh, I can't draw realistically or whatever. I can't draw a scene or it doesn't yeah. matter like that. I can't draw. Yes, you can if you can take a instrument and scribble you just draw that's shapes a drawing you know it doesn't yeah look at some of the look at picasso right, <laughs> no, right. none of picasso's people look like people right <laughs> but you know but you know that they are right. and, and a six-year-old's never going to analyze a color palette right. and the color wheel <laughs> to know if it's complement. they're just gonna and it's just, just fun they're just in. going with how they feel they're just letting it flow from their you know really from their brain to their hand to the paper so yeah yeah just enjoy it yeah. right well i will we'll call it a night here okay. um i do want you back on i would love because i want to talk again. to you about some specific mm-hmm. things but it's been such a pleasure to have you on debbie Same. and I'm, I'm glad we've got this been looking forward to it Me too. um and then uh yeah I'd, I'd like to get you back on soon i know i'm going to be t- speaking to diane uh next week but i'd like us to do something together as well that'd be great um something creative would be really cool i love that um, yes 
but yeah but thank you for being on the show uh this episode will go out in a couple of weeks time once i've edited it so if you've been listening and you've stayed to the end go and check debbie's work i'll put everything in the show notes um i'll put the link to diane's interview as well and go and watch that and see your work because you i know you go a little bit deeper into some of the backstories there so i think this is a nice compliment complimentary episode for that um but no it's lovely to meet you at crepe south i love your work um just please carry on doing what you're doing i can't wait to see you again soon and uh and just thank you for being an awesome guest well thank you and i just i share the same sentiments i'm so glad that we met and that we're friends and i am very inspired by everything you're doing so thank you for having me don't you love don't you love fast friends yes it's one of the best things one of the best things (laughs) oh thank you very much debbie and uh thanks for listening everyone i'll see you next time